The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. If you've been here the past couple weeks, you know that we are going through a new series or for the new year uh, called May the Peace Be With You. Um, after the season of Christmas, when peace is something that we talk a lot about, we wanted to explore what is biblical peace? What is, when we talk about peace on earth at Christmas time, what are we talking about? So two weeks ago, Ryan Church got us started looking at, um, the word shalom, what it is, the Hebrew word that we translate peace. Because peace is more than just the absence of conflict or that peaceful, easy feeling, um, Rip Glenn Fry. But the word shalom, the word shalom is about the restoration of all things. It's more than just peace. If you think of shalom, it's kind of like a circle. Um, it means communal well-being in every direction, every relationship, every circumstance. That's what biblical peace is. And then last week, Ryan Andrews talked on um, Genesis chapter 3 and what happens when this shalom is broken um, by human rebellion. Everything in every relationship becomes fragmented. And instead of peace, we find hostility. And what a lot of human, what we're left with as humans is loneliness, right? Fragmentation in relationship. Tonight, I want to examine a little bit more this idea of peace and the absence of it. So we're going to look at peace uh, versus war and violence. Once we lose shalom, we lose unity, and what we find is violence. And violence, uh, once it introduces, it's like a disease. It duplicates, it spreads, it sucks life from everything, and every uh, light and life from everything around it. It reminds me of, um, in The Force Awakens, the um, First Order Starkiller base. Um, so... Uh, the spoiler, yeah, I'm not going to tell you anything. And by the way, you should have seen it by now. <laughs> okay. Um, so the Starkiller base, the way that it gets energy um, and the weapon works is by sucking light and life from stars and then destroying other things with it. Um, and before anybody says to me, actually, Janie, the way the star killer works is it operates on this uh, darkness power called quintessence, and there's a magnetic pole in the... I know, okay, whatever. It's called the star killer, okay? So it sucks life. That's what violence does. That's what hostility does. It sucks light and life from everything around it. So we're going to take a look at this reality in our world, and what is peace? What is biblical peace? Um, what does the Bible say about it? So this is something I'm actually really excited to share with you. I'm really passionate about it. And if you're not excited about it, sorry, I have the microphone. So uh, I'm going to also be throwing a lot of information at you um, as well. But I really think this is something so important for the, the core of who we know God to be and who we know ourselves to be in relationship with God. So... Since the fall in the Garden of Eden that Ryan talked about last week in the introduction of violence, God has been working to bring us back into relationship. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 19, 
All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, colon, means there's something important coming, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has, com- he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Tonight, keep this in mind. God is reconciling the world to God's self. That is God's goal from appointing Israel, blessed to be a blessing, from sending Jesus into the world. It is bringing us back into relationship. So I want to start by looking at scripture. What does the Bible say when it comes to peace and violence? So we're going to do a quick and dirty sprint, a survey of what scripture says about this. Um, our faith calls us to be peaceful, right? We would say that. However, when you look at parts of scripture, particularly the Old Testament, that truth can be a little bit difficult. There are several instances early in Israel's history where God calls on Israel to kill people. When they're moving into the promised land in Joshua, in First and Second Samuel, when they're becoming the nation of Israel, God actually says, annihilate them, kill all of them. Not just the soldiers, also the women and children and the animals. Take them all out. And then there's a bunch of places in the Psalms where the psalmist says to God, God, destroy my enemies, kill them, get rid of them. Now, we can't simply chalk that up to collateral damage of God doing what God is going to do. It has to be problematic because we believe that God is a God of love that cares for all creation. And we believe the Bible to be true. And it is. It makes me uneasy. These passages in scripture make me uneasy that God is calling for violence. And I thought it was important that we acknowledge that if we're going to be talking about peace. So there's two things that I want to bring to attention that have helped me come to terms with this violence, even though these passages might be struggling or might cause us to struggle. First of all, the louder, much more consistent message through all of scripture is God pushing Israel toward peace, a call to peace, a call to shalom. There's passages in Isaiah, in Jeremiah, in Jonah, in Micah, in Hosea, where God is calling Israel into a future of peace. So as God is reconciling the world to himself, a pillar of that is shalom in God's kingdom, peace in God's kingdom. In Isaiah, you have the passage of the suffering servant, who probably, they were talking about Jesus, the suffering servant who dies for the sake of peace. God wants Israel and the world to know peace. And the second thing that I want to say with regard to that is we don't read the Old Testament in a vacuum. We read it and understand it through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the way to peace. Jesus' way, the way that he lived in the world, reshapes our understanding that violence as retribution is no longer an option. That is not justifiable. So when we read those old, the passages in the Old Testament, yes, they're troubling. There's, God is calling, God is calling people to violence and we might not understand that, but what we know is that Jesus' peace changed everything on the cross. Everything was changed on the cross. So we move through scripture. We go from the Old Testament to the prophets and the call to peace. And then God with the, the, I don't know what, 
super special, extra, awesome, the thing that God was going to do to save the world through peace, and that is Jesus. God's ultimate plan. One of the most surprising things about what Jesus did is that a lot of people in Israel said, all right, violent revolution, let's take down Rome. And Jesus' response, he wept. In Luke 19, we actually see an interaction with Jesus and the Pharisees when he, talking about Jesus, comes into Jerusalem. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace, there it is again, in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. Jesus weeps over Jerusalem that they want to destroy their enemies to know peace. Because God's way of deliverance is peacemaking. I see it this way. Jesus was so disgusted so saddened by the reality of violence and hostility and just the merry-go-round of vengeance in the world that he would rather die than see it continue. Paul continues this message that Jesus has towards peace by calling all of these New Testament churches to be in peace in their relationship with God and with one another. Here's what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, just as an example. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. Be transformed by seeking peace. And then finally, in the crazy book of Revelation, which a lot of Christians actually point to to justify violence, Um, In the crazy book of Revelation, we have this holy war between good and evil, and we find out that it has been won by the cross of Jesus. The lion has laid down with the lamb, and peace has actually won. Until Jesus comes again, the new heaven and the new earth, and then we will know this shalom of perfect peace, which I think is going to be awesome in the understatement of the year. So that's the quick and dirty sprint through scripture, looking at what it says about peace and violence. What's our impression coming away from this? It is this, God is reconciling the world to God's self and restoring us to wholeness through Jesus. Now, if we take a look at our world in 2016, it's not exactly hopeful, right? The sheer volume of information today makes it sound like it's becoming more violent, more horrific, more terrifying, and the hyperbolic nature of journalism makes it impossible to know what is really going on. But in his book, um, Better Angels of Our Nature, Harvard professor Steven Pinker says, despite what the headlines say, we have never lived in a more peaceful time. The truth is, over the course of the last century and into this one, almost across the board, the trend lines are going down. War, crime rates, homicide, genocide, violence against women and children, violent dictatorships, all of them are trending downward dramatically. 
Not to mention the thousands of years previous where violence was actually decreasing. Here's a couple of graphs. I know you guys are like, oh my gosh, am I in class right now? Yeah, okay. Um, so homicide rates in the US and England going down. You can see that in the world. They haven't been keeping track for very long, but green line going down. And then the next one, um, is homicide rates in Mexico, which the only thing we hear about Mexico is how much murder there is, right? That's what we hear. Look at the trend lines. They're all going downwards. There have been some, there have been some upswings in violence in, um, sometime in the, in the last six months and year, but they're very focused and concentrated around areas of ISIS. Now, I don't mean to sound callous, um, I don't, I don't mean to minimize tragedies in any way. I recognize these are human lives that we're talking about here. And my point is not to be like, oh, those lives don't matter. Yay, cheerleader. What I want us to recognize is that if we look at the bigger trends there, we can be, have a more moral enlightenment of what is really happening in the world. And if we didn't know this, the larger trend of what's happening, I think that we would have no reason to truly hope for the future. We would just be like, what difference does it make? What's the point? And we would do nothing. Unlike what the media would have us believe, the world is not falling apart. There are movements towards human rights. There's a significantly greater awareness of injustice. People are actively seeking to right the wrongs of hostility in the world. It was not that long ago, executions took place in the town square. And a slave was considered one-fifth of a person. Now, we find that appalling. We are exposing violence and hostility to the light. Could it be that God is reconciling himself to the world through Jesus, and this is the impact? I say yes. Now, is the world in the best place ever? I say no. All right, I'm not naive. I know the world is full of chaos and pain. I mean, mass shootings happen so often that we we don't even, you know, pay attention to them anymore. Did you know that 62 people have the same amount of wealth as the rest of the world combined? You know, it's a little skewed, right? And you just need to read an internet comment section to know, yeah, there's still some hostility in the world. But I think it's more important we pay attention when we know that the peace of Christ is doing something. A life of peace in this world is through Jesus and in Jesus. Jesus came to restore our relationship with the Father, our relationship with ourselves, and our relationship with one another. And Jesus is the manifestation of shalom. Jesus is the picture of wholeness. And not only that, Jesus has planted the mustard seed of shalom, of peace in you. When we give our lives to Christ, something amazing happens. Our location changes. We are in Shalomville. Pack your bags. <laughs> Welcome to Shalomville. Stay for a day or a lifetime. <laughs> Something happens and it permeates our being. And when we find ourselves in hostile circumstances, whether it be because of anxiety or frustration or something that's rage inducing, we have the peace that passes all understanding in us. That's what it means to be in Christ. Consider this. I would say that violence is the mark of a fallen person. I know that for me, 
Most of the time when I'm interacting with the world, hostility is the knee-jerk reaction. Whether it be competition, jealousy, disgust, anger. If I ever wonder about it, I just need to try to drive somewhere in Seattle at 5 p.m. Ryan Church always says if he wonders if he's a sinner, he just spends some time sitting in traffic. And I've been in a car with him and I can say, yep, that's probably true. But if violence is the distinctive mark of a fallen person, peace is the distinctive mark of an in-Christ person. In Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Jesus does not only say, Blessed are the peace lovers. Blessed are those peace wanters. Not even those peace livers. That sounds like a body organ. Um, (laughs) Not only peace living, but... He says, blessed are the peacemakers, which means you're actively seeking other people. The rest of chapter 5, Jesus is telling us, how do we restore peace in our relationships? Um, and how do we remove violence? He talks about it with anger towards our brother or sister in Christ. Adultery in marriage, divorce, making commitments and keeping them. He even removes violence with an eye for an eye and replaces it with Turn the other cheek and love your enemies. And the enemies that Jesus is talking about is the people that crucified him. That is who he is calling us to love. Not just our grouchy neighbor, not just our messy roommate. He's calling us to love indiscriminately and without condition. And it's so easy for us to just explain that away. There's no way Jesus can mean that. That's too extreme. But the reality is, Jesus is a non-commonsensical kind of savior. He's the king of a non-commonsensical kind of kingdom. And that's what we have committed to when we have committed our lives to Christ. Too often, we seek the shalomville of ourselves, right? I got to get the peace of God going on, and then I'm going to feel good, and everything's going to be great, and that's where we stop. For lots of reasons, I think it's because when you look at the state of the world and we see, man, it's going to hell, we think, I'm small, we get discouraged, why shouldn't I do anything? What we do is we confuse passivism and pacifism, right? Passivism is doing nothing. Pacifism in the Latin actually means to make peace. A pacifist is actively moving toward When Jesus says, turn the other cheek, he doesn't say, so just ignore and walk away. He's saying, move toward into relationship. Martin Luther King Jr., right? He's a man um, who we celebrated yesterday. He was such an amazing example of this, moving toward others to demonstrate peace. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And God doesn't ask us to do this only if we can be successful at it. I love this. He asks us to be faithful. I have a great quote from um, John Howard Yoder. The point of discipleship is faithfulness, not effectiveness. It is far wiser to act with faithfulness to what is right and let God control the outcome. So how can we be peacemakers? That's what I want to finish with tonight. How can we be peacemakers? First one is pray, 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 pray. Pray for the peace of the world. How often do we do that? Pray for Young Life Africa. Pray for the people that you know that are in different places around the world that could use prayer. 
And then I would say in our everyday life, we need to notice our tendency toward hostility in our own hearts. It's so embedded in our nature, we don't even think about it. Think about what happens when you're sitting in class and you're just kind of watching people walk in. What do you think about every person that walks in? Or you're sitting on the bus and you look around at everybody. What are you thinking? I'm often thinking, oh man, she thinks she's pulling off those boots, but she's not. Or, oh God, he smells bad. I got to move over here. Or I'm getting to that seat before she is. It's the last one. Get in that seat. Hostility happens so naturally. Is your heart, is your mind extending peace or hostility? It reminds me when I was a cake decorator. I worked as a cake decorator for a little while. Fun facts about Janie. Um, and two things that always happened. I was always covered with buttercream. Like on my hands, just always covered with buttercream. I would go work out of the gym after I decorated cakes. And it would just like ooze out of my pores, the smell of buttercream. And I would, you know, I thought it was gross, but I'd walk by people and they'd walk by and smell and they'd turn and smile. And I'd be like, yeah, I know, I smell like a cookie. It's gross. <laughs> but I was always covered with buttercream and I was always wearing an apron. And so I would have buttercream on my hands and automatically I'd just wipe it on my apron. Just a hundred times a day. Just wipe, wipe buttercream, wipe it on my apron. And, um, which is great. It worked out awesome until I was not wearing an apron. And the rest of my day, the rest of my life, no matter what was on my hands, what'd I do? Oh, marinara sauce. Oh, that's a shirt. I have an apron on. I always look like a bibless toddler, like all the time. Like, what the? It was totally automatic. I didn't even think about it. And I think that's how hostility and violence works in us. We don't even think about it. It's just totally automatic. But with the peace of Christ, our hearts can change. They need to change. Because every hostile thought in my brain, every hostile word that comes out of my mouth, every hostile action that I perform is adding to the darkness and the cycle of vengeance and pain and pain for pain that's exchanged the bloody merry-go-round over and over again. I'm contributing to that all the time. We need to become so saddened and disgusted with the violence and the hostility in this world that we would be willing to die for it. Paul says that we should take every thought captive to Christ. Every hostile thought we have, from competition, jealousy, stubbornness, anger, impatience, take every thought captive and let Jesus change it. I have to be committed to purging from my mind, my thoughts, my actions, anything not consistent with peace, and I have to make it a discipline every day. Only then can we become peacemakers. Only then can we contribute to the end of hostility. What would it look like if you recognize that you are in Shalomville and the peace of Christ is in you? What would you look like? What would it look like if you sought the peace of Christ for every person you came in contact with? What would our community look like if we changed every hostile thought to a peaceful one? Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, impossible. There's no way I can do this. And you're right. It is impossible. But it is Jesus' love in you that allows you to love another person. 
It's Jesus in you that provides you with the peace, the mustard seed of shalom that allows you to seek it for those in the world. It's Jesus in you that will transform every thought, every action, every word to one of peace, and you will be a child of God. Until we have the wholeness of shalom, the perfect peace, when Jesus comes again. Let's pray. God of peace, God of justice, we give you thanks for the power of your peace, your justice, your freedom. We thank you for all the risk takers who have been obedient to your promises and open to your dreams. Deliver us from amnesia concerning their courage in the face of violence their peacemaking against hate, their hunger for you in the face of a broken world. Turn our memory into hope. Turn our gratitude into energy. Turn our well-being into patience. That these same powers of your will would pulse through us and make us peacemakers in our world today. Amen. Amen.